While you're turning your songbooks there, I want to tell you how much I appreciate you being here this evening. I'm happy to be here. I am thankful to the Lord to be here. What a blessing it is to be in a crowd like this, this number of people that are interested in praising God and worshiping God and serving God and learning about God. How wonderful that is. And I know that you have been edified in the song service this evening uh, to sing about our God Most High and to praise Him like that. And I think that uh, we're singing to each other. I think we're singing to God. And you sang to me, and I appreciate it. And I've been edified by that. And I know God has been glorified thus far. This evening, I'd like to talk to you about a subject uh, that is shunned somewhat. I'm not saying that we shun it intentionally, but because of a lot of the false teaching about the Holy Spirit, uh, a lot of people want to avoid it. And the extremes, and there's extremes in everything, isn't there? And when we go to an extreme, we've got a problem if we go this way. And if we go to an extreme this way, we've got a problem. Somewhere the truth lies. And this evening, I want to talk to you about grieving the Holy Spirit specifically. And how that is done and what that means. I want to tell you, first of all, that 2 Timothy 1 and 7 might be the thought for tomorrow evening. Uh, I plan on talking about fear tomorrow. And the scripture there says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear. We need to learn a little bit, I think, about the spirit before we go into the fear. And I want to talk a little bit this evening about the Holy Spirit and think about Him and His uh, role and what He does in our life uh, to some extent. Of course, that is such a broad subject, such a big subject. No way in the world we can cover that in 35, 40 minutes. So we have to pinpoint our efforts, and I want to think specifically about grieving the Holy Spirit. I wonder if you think that the Holy Spirit is grieved today. I believe He is in so many respects. And I believe personally that many of us are grieving the Holy Spirit and don't realize that we are. And I believe also that if we grieve our loved ones, then that brings about grief. I know one man, and you know him too, that spent many years incarcerated. And he told me personally, he said, when it finally dawned on me what I had done to my family and all those that loved me and how I'd lived, he said, I was a broken man. So I'm going to be up, up front and talk with you frankly this evening because I believe you're that type of people. I believe you're the type of person that you don't want anyone to dance around the bushes with you. You want the Bible, and I believe that. I want you to know that if you're living outside of Jesus Christ this evening, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And I believe that if you're living immorally this evening, even as a Christian and calling yourself a Christian, and your lifestyle is not what it should be, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And you don't want to do that. We have to realize then that grieving the Holy Spirit is a serious infraction. And the scripture talks about it distinctly. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ephesians 4. I apologize for not having this in New King James Version format, but this is King James Version. I believe there's enough older people here this evening that it won't bother you. And the young folks understand 
that uh, there's very little difference in the translation. And if you want to follow along in your pulpit, uh, in your pew Bible, that's fine. But I have the scriptures on the board. Ephesians 4, verse 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation of old man. The conversation is a lifestyle. We put that off. Putting it off means then that we're laying it down and that we're not going that route anymore. That's repentance. That's what Paul is begging us to do. And what we're concerned about today in your life is that we make that change and we put off concerning the former conversation the old man. The old man is a man of flesh. It's a man that seeks after fleshly things and desires fleshly things. And he says, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put, off the new man, put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 here then that there is a change in a man and he becomes not the old man. He lays that down. We know it to lay down in the death of Jesus Christ to be submitted, to be buried with him in baptism. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, verses 1 through 3, that we're risen with God. We die with him, we're buried, and we're risen with him. And then we are put on the new man. And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that you may have to give to him that needeth. These are all Instructions for the Christian who has put on the new man. We have a change of life. I want to tell you, Christianity is more than just lip service. We see a lot of lip service. But serving Jesus Christ is dying to the old man and being buried with him and raised to walk in a new life. But this new life then entails many things. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. One reason why some people are shunned away from speaking about the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed until the day of redemption, is because they don't understand. They simply don't understand some things. We live in a society where uh, the Holy Spirit becomes some fictitious or some mysterious entity that somehow possesses a man and makes him do things that he doesn't want to do. Paul writes in, uh, 
to the Ephesians, he says, Be ye not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So we see people then a lot of times that simply don't understand that. I want to give you a basic illustration of what that scripture is saying. When a man is drunk on wine or liquor or beer or anything else, what does he do? He staggers. He fumbles around in his life. He says things that really should never be said. He has very poor judgment. He might even get in a car and kill a whole family. Or at best, just injure them. He's drunk on wine or he's drunk on liquor. He's lost his clarity of mind. So Paul says, be ye not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What, do, what is it then to be filled with the Spirit? Well, the contrast is given there in that one passage. The drunkenness of a man versus the sobriety of a man who is filled with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't make a man stagger. As a matter of fact, his ways will walk more straight, more correct. It doesn't make him say things. Paul writes that the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. The Holy Spirit will not force himself upon you to say things that you don't want to say or you don't understand. The spirit of the prophets subject to the prophets. And that's why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14 there that we can keep our silence. If there's no interpreter, you keep your silence. So this was the day of apostolic miracles and there was a miraculous interpretation of an unknown tongue. And he said, if there's no interpreter, you can keep your silence. The Holy Spirit never forces himself upon anyone. One little boy said he didn't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church, Daddy. Why not, son? I'm scared of the Holy Ghost. Well, I want to tell you, the only thing to be scared about of the Holy Ghost is this. It's that you might miss him. Because in him, and because of him, our life changes. We have judgment. We have wisdom. We have a straighter life, a clearer walk in our life. We're able to see right and wrong and understand right and wrong. There's no forcing of anything, but there is uh, a correction, if you will, in giving a new man. When God did something big in the, in the Bible, he always did it by the Holy Spirit. Think about the creation. We see in Genesis 1, verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The Spirit of God moved upon the waters. The Holy Spirit then was present was present in creation. Think about the incarnation, the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus coming to this earth and being born. The scripture teaches in Luke 1, verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. 
Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit was responsible and present in the incarnation of Jesus. Even the mighty thing of the crucifixion, the Holy Spirit was involved and he was present. Notice in Hebrews 9 verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The Holy Spirit was present then and a force, an action in the crucifixion of Jesus. What about the resurrection? All of these events were major events in the world of humanity. How did the Holy Spirit, how was he involved in the resurrection? Romans 8 verse 11 says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. When the trumpet blows and you're going to rise up out of the grave, he will resurrect you also by the Spirit of God. He resurrected the Son of God by his Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved in our salvation. These great things, these major things, all throughout the humanity of man, the Holy Spirit has been present. The only thing to fear about the Holy Spirit is that you might not miss him, or that you might miss him, and that you might not have him. Acts 2, verse 38 says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This is a passage that is undeniable in my mind and in, in my understanding. How we could ever say that a Christian does not receive the Holy Spirit of God. According to this passage, we receive him. The 3,000 did that day that were converted. We receive him when we are, follow Christ in the gospel of Jesus Christ in the death the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior. And we follow that, and we receive the Holy Spirit of God. This promise wasn't just to that group there that day, but it's to everyone. As many as the Lord our God shall call. Romans 8 verse 7 says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. What does that mean? The carnal mind. And what does it mean to be in the flesh? Aren't we all in the flesh? Why does he say that they cannot please God? Well, notice in verse 9, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. The carnal mind is that mind that is seized to the flesh and tends to the flesh. See, we struggle with that. The carnal mind is enmity against God. 
With my carnal mind, I think that I want to please my body. I'm concerned about the body. I, I try to desire to please it in every way and give it and satisfy it in everything. I want to tell you, you can live that way. You have that right, that choice to live that way. And you'll think just like men, you'll act just like men, and you'll die just like men. And you could try every self-help program in the world, but he says that you cannot please God. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. But he says, but you're in the flesh. But in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, In whom ye also trusted that ye heard that the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. This sealing then takes on the nature and tries to send a message to us, much like a king that would seal a letter and put his stamp upon that letter. And those that would take that letter from that, it would have the seal of the king. The Holy Spirit then is the seal of the king. For the Christian. And he also puts it this way. Which is the earnest of our inheritance. I know we have some real estate people here this evening. And you deal with earnest money all the time. And people put down a promissory earnest money. Toward a property that they're going to buy. And if they renege on that. They lose their earnest money. Well God is faithful. He's not going to renege on it. And the earnest of our inheritance then until the redemption of the purchased possession. The purchased possession is heaven. I didn't purchase it. You didn't purchase it. God purchased it with his son. And gives us the Holy Spirit when we follow him in obedience to the baptism and to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're sealed or given that stamp, if you will, that you're mine. And to the praise of his glory, the scripture says. Remember what we talked about the other night of glorifying God? Our purpose and our role here on this earth is way made too complicated. <laughs> it's, it's polluted by many, many different things. Primarily by the carnal mind that wants to tend to the flesh. We want to fill up baskets that have holes in them. We want to, uh, to try to fill up a bank account. And we live with that purpose. Ty's uh, son-in-law taught me that a bank account is something you can never fill up. <laughs> he uses that quite often. And I think it, it is something that we need to reiterate and to be true. Well, it's a picture of the flesh trying to satisfy itself. Trying to be something and trying to make itself something that it cannot. The redemption of our, uh, by the Savior of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And then the Holy Spirit is given as an earnest of expectation. What do you expect? Well, I'd kind of like to expect heaven, wouldn't you? The promise of heaven. Brethren, it's not simply a feeling. 
It's not some wild emotional feel that you get. It's a promise from God of heaven. Because we are his purchased possession. So therefore then we see that the Holy Spirit of God is active in our salvation. Everything big that God did was done by his Spirit. We see that the Holy Spirit is active in the church and the spread of the church. Acts 2 verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. The Holy Spirit was involved that day. He's involved in our salvation in the sense that we are given a seal of the promise of heaven. And we're sealed by God. We're called Christians. I pick up a new name. When I baptize someone, I generally like to present them to the audience. And I said, I want to present to you so and so. Christian. They're now Christian. I don't care what you were in the past. Now you're a child of God. I don't care how you lived in the past in the sense of affecting your future. It's not. It's gone. The old man's gone. Now you belong to God. And God gives you his Holy Spirit. According to Acts 2.38. Let's understand that the Holy Spirit is a person. Not a thing. Generally, uh, many people refer to the Holy Spirit as it. He is a person. He has a mind. He serves the Father. He is part of the Godhead. Romans 8, 26 puts it this way. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Think about that for a moment, how marvelous and how fantastic that is. That the Holy Spirit of God searches your heart. And he knows what to pray for. And he makes intercession for you. What a wonderful thought. I don't even know what to pray for. I don't even know what I need. But he does. According to the scripture, he has emotion. Ephesians 4.30, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed into the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. The word grieve comes from a Greek word that means to distress or to be sad, to be in heaviness, to be sorry. The idea that God could be made uh, sad is kind of a concept that is hard for us to wrap our brain around. How can you be sad if you know everything, right? But God is a person also and we're made after his image. The Holy Spirit is a person and he can be grieved. We must not reduce the Holy Spirit then to a principle. He is not the Bible. He is not the Bible. He is not a principle taught in the Bible. He is a person. 
And a person can be grieved, and God can be grieved. But a principle cannot be grieved. Sadness is created by loss. I want you to think about that for a second. Many of you here this evening have experienced a lot of sadness in your life. You've lost loved ones. You've lost the dearest friend that you could ever have. You've lost them in some form, some way. Maybe they have walked away from you. Maybe you've had a child that goes away and goes astray and goes down to the prodigal son path, but there's a loss there. And I tell you, I believe that the prodigal's father sat at home, and I believe he grieved. How can love not grieve? Tell me that. Some of us have lost loved ones through death. It's still a loss. It's a major loss. Even though as Christians we have a promise and a statement that Paul makes that we sorrow not as those who have no hope. Our sorrow is different because we have expectation and we have hope. But nevertheless, we experience grief because we have experienced loss. Some of you have grieved over your bank accounts. (laughs) You grieve over the loss of money. You grieve over a lot of things. What do you grieve about? But you know what the saddest grief, the hardest grief? It's the grief of love. It is the prodigal son's father who sits and watches down that road every day. Have you ever experienced that? Looking and waiting because you've experienced the loss of your child? I believe that when we look at the prodigal son story, unless we take a close look at the father, we miss a great part of the truth of of that story. And I believe we see God in that story as a picture of a father who looks toward those who have lost, whom he has lost, that have lost through a willful desire of walking away from him, and we see God grieving over that loss. The Holy Spirit then loves. Those who don't love do not experience grief. The only thing that will cause grief in your life of this sort, of what we're talking about tonight, is true love. The Holy Spirit grieves because He loves. And His love is always attached to our salvation. His love is always attached to our well-being. It's not difficult for me to place myself in that picture because I am a father and I have children. And it's not difficult for me to understand the grief that comes from the loss. It's hard for us to imagine that God can do that, but according to Ephesians 4, he can and he does. According to the prodigal son story, he can and he does. And I want you to see yourself tonight if you are away from Jesus tonight is one that God grieves for. And he has sadness for. Scripture says that 
The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. I'm here tonight to point you to one who loves you so much that he does not want to see you lost, and he grieves over the loss. Genesis 6 and 6 says that it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. God sees the wickedness that's going on and perhaps the wickedness in your own individual life. I don't know your life. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I know that God does, and I know that he sees everything. And if you're away from him this evening, he's grieving over you because of the loss. And it's a great loss. It's the loss of a soul. Grieved him at his heart, the scripture says. Another quality of the Holy Spirit that we need to take into account and we need to measure ourselves by is the Holy Spirit is never apathetic. He never looks at you and he never says, I don't care. We have a tendency to do that. We have a tendency to look at people and if we try to say something to them and try to encourage them to, to listen and follow Christ and they don't, we'll say, oh, I don't care. I can't do anything about it. Sometimes we, we get to a point where we take pride in it. The Holy Spirit is never apathetic. Never once does he take pride in someone's lostness. No matter how far you may be away from him tonight, he's not apathetic about your lostness. He's never apathetic toward the way that we live. He wants to change us. He is the instrument of change in our life. Genesis 6 and 3, it says, The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. The world would strive. The word strive there doesn't mean quarrel. God doesn't quarrel with you. It means contend and struggle with. We talked a little bit about that in glorifying God. God's not always going to struggle with you. It may last all night sometime, and it, you may wrestle with God as Jacob did. But there comes a time... When God says, I'm, I'm through struggling, if that's what you want to serve, go ahead and serve it. We think about quarreling when we think about striving, but the word translated here literally means struggle and contend with and wrestle and fight. Why are you fighting against God? That's a simple question. As simple as it can. Uh, can be. Saul on, on the road to Tarsus, why dost thou kick against the pricks, Saul? Why are you wrestling against God? The Holy Spirit is never apathetic about this. However, there comes a time when he quits wrestling with you. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. The Holy Spirit is never apathetic. One day he cares, one day he doesn't. That's not the way God operates. 
He doesn't change like we change. We get sick and we lose our spirituality. You know why? Because we're in the flesh. God never changes. It's hard to be spiritually minded when our body is hurting. I understand that. God understands that too. That's part of our struggle. Is constantly surrendering and trying to learn to think spiritually and let the Holy Spirit uh, guide us and direct our life through His Word. Very difficult to do. But we will never do that if we look at God as a changing God. We experience change all the time. There's coming a time when there will be no change. However, God never changes. He won't change in this life, and he will not change in the next life. When we think about God, he always has been. He is. He always will be. And he will never change. The Holy Spirit, then, is never apathetic because he never changes. He doesn't change on situations. And he doesn't change at your mindset. But the Holy Spirit can be grieved. Our grief is often fostered by the loss of things that don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Boy, that is so true. I'm thinking about that when I was writing this sermon, and I think about how, what I've grieved over in my life. What have you grieved over? I've grieved over some silly stuff. I like to fish. I had the biggest fish on, the biggest fish you can have. I mean, he was huge. Huge. I got him up to the boat. And he got off. Loss. You know, the whole time I was reeling in that fish, you know, my pride was swelling. Boy, I am the guy of a fisherman. I can't wait to send a picture to my nephew. <laughs> He's going to be amazed at this one. It was a big small mile. Got him up to the boat. Isn't that foolish? Got off and I sat there and I just sat down and I slumped and I said, I can't believe I lost that fish. I am the sorriest fisherman in the state of Tennessee. Why? I don't even have any business down here fishing. Those are the type of griefs that we have. Now that is a, an exaggeration even though that did happen to me. We're grieved by the loss a lot of times of a ball game. You know, I, I got a brother-in-law, bless his heart. He's, he's a very elderly man now, but back in the older, <clears throat> back in the days, his son played baseball. <laughs> and I think that he had visions of his son hitting a ball in the major leagues. That's what I think. Because when my nephew, his son, lost a ball game, my brother-in-law would grieve. For days! And sometimes it got so bad. He's over that now, by the way. If in case you're watching. <laughs> He's over that now, by the way. But it got so bad that he could go for days and not say a word to anybody. 
because he was grieving over a ball game. We've already mentioned the loss of money. That's a huge source of grief for us. And if you've lived any period of time, you know what it's like to lose a little money in an investment or something else. It's going to happen. How foolish, or a loss of a job even for that matter. And I know that seems more serious. That is pretty serious. But in the end, like my first boss that I had told me, he said, Mark, it's just a job. (laughs) Because I thought my job was... Very, 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 very important. And I didn't want to lose it. Your job is important, but it's just a job. And then we have tremendous grief over the death of the saints. Who here this evening hasn't walked to the funeral home and walked in there and had to go through that and walk to the cemetery? We have this grief because we have this great loss. And we grieve over the death of the saints. 1992, I buried my daddy. I told my wife that night. I said, we'll be burying people for the rest of our life. I wasn't, but in my early 30s when this happened. At the time, I thought I was pretty old, but I look back and I know how bad I needed my dad. I see that now, and I I knew that I needed him then, but I... The grief was just overwhelming. He, he dropped dead suddenly. I, there was no, no warning, no expectation of that. He, was, he died on his birthday. He was only 73. And I look at that grief, and I see that loss. The Revelation 14, 13 tells me that I shouldn't think that way. Not if I'm spiritually minded. And I'm listening to the Holy Spirit of God and through His Word, He tells me things like this. He says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. Now, uh, 30 years later from the death of my dad, I'm so thankful. Not that he's dead. I'm thankful that he's resting from his labors. I'm, I'm thankful that he has a home that can never be taken away from him and there won't be any loss. And the things that you're grieving over today are not the things that God grieves over and the way we look at things is not the way God sees them. And we'll never change except the Holy Spirit make that in action in our life. And we come to Christ. So now we can look at the death of the saints through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. Through this earnest of the expectation. This down payment of heaven. And I can walk through life with a victory in my mind toward my mama and toward my daddy, toward all of those that I've buried if I have confidence in their salvation. The hardest grief, however, that we will ever experience is the grief over a loved one who has no hope. Because they don't know Jesus. 
Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. The carnal mind strives for things that are temporary. For a moment's pleasure, just for a moment's pleasure, only to find eternal grief. Isn't that a tremendous paradox? And that's the way the carnal mind lives and the way the carnal mind thinks. But not us. Not us because we put off that old man. We've come to Jesus and we've obeyed him. And we've put on the new man and been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. I want to tell these young folks something specifically. I want to speak to you just a second. Right now, I know because I've been there, you feel like that you have your whole life ahead of you. And you think that whole life is a long time. It's natural. It's natural to feel that way. All of us have felt that way. And you think that you're invincible a lot of times. I'm going by my own experience, okay? I'm not trying to pick on you. My daddy let me buy a motorcycle when I was 15 years old, and... I thought, I could ride this motorcycle as fast as I want to ride it. I can because this is me. Neighbors would call my mom and they'd say, you better get him off that motorcycle. He's going to kill himself. Fortunately, and by the grace of God, I survived that incident. And then I wake up one day and I'm in the middle of my life. It's no longer the morning of my life. I'm in the middle. The sun's shining bright. I'm in the midday and I'm working hard and I'm trying to strive and I'm trying to feed my family. I'm trying to do all those things. That middle of the day doesn't last long either. Then we become to the afternoon of our life. The afternoon is a time that is uh, pretty special, I think. It's not as special as the morning. (laughs) The morning is when you feel like you've got your whole life ahead of you. And that you're invincible. You're thinking about college. You're thinking about a job. You're thinking about a spouse. You're thinking about children. You're thinking about going to work into evangelism. Aren't you? You're doing all those things. And then you get to the afternoon and... You know what you can see? I feel like that's where I'm at. I may not be. I may be further along than that. But you see the sunset. You see the sunset. You know it's coming. Some of you here this evening are in the sunset of your life. And you know that time is coming when night will fall upon you. And you see that night time coming. I've described one day. One day. Think about how many days you've been living. And how how fast that day goes by. Your life is the same. It goes by just that quick. I talked a lot about my mother last night. My mother, before she fell into the deepest Alzheimer's, she was 80, 86 years old. She was 86 
And she told me, she said, Mark, she said, I woke up one day and I was this old. The day passed. Right now is really all we have. And it may be sunset for you and nighttime might just be around the corner for you. Understand that death in the Lord is a precious thing. And not to have that, not to be dying the Lord is a terrible thing. What grieves the Holy Spirit? One thing is lying does. Why? Well, a lie, it was by a lie that man lost his place in the perfect fellowship of God. There's a loss there. He had perfect fellowship with God. And that has been going on ever since time has been. And ever since Adam and Eve, a lie has been the source of all sin. So he says, putting away lying. Why? Because lying brings about a grief. Because grief brings, is caused by loss. I've got a picture there of a couple going through a woods. Let's imagine that's Adam and Eve. Just try to imagine that. I don't think they'd dress like that, but just imagine that. This is after they've fallen. And I, don't, I know the scripture says that there was a fruit there that they partook of and they ate of that fruit. Uh, let's just uh, pretend for a moment that that fruit was an apple tree. I know everybody wants to think it an apple. They'll call it, call it an apple. I don't know if it was or not. But I do know that they partook of a fruit that God had commanded them not to partake of. Let's imagine they're walking through there and they see this apple tree. You think that apple tree would look pretty to them? I don't think it would. I think it would remind them of the loss that they had. And they'd grieve over it. Let's imagine the best we can that we die. We lift up our eyes in torment. One thing the scripture teaches me in Luke 16 is that in torment, when the rich man lifted up his eyes, he had a memory. <clears throat> he had a memory. He remembered that he had brothers. And he didn't want them to come to this awful place. The grief of hell for him, not entirely, but there's grief there and there's sorrow there beyond measure. But part of the grief that he experienced was the loss not only of his soul, but the dread of the loss of those whom he loved. There's no peace to be found there and no joy because there's only loss and deep grief. The measure of our grief then is proportional to the measure of loss. That fish that I lost, that big old small mouth, I grieved for him until I caught the next one. <laughs> I'm a pretty good fisherman. 
And then when I had the other one, I just, then that just gave me uh, fuel to come home to Jameson, uh, tied Lisa's son-in-law and said, you ought to see his fish I caught. Well, where is he? Well, he got off. You know how it is. I grieved till I, I caught an, another one. If we lose our soul, brethren, there won't be another one. And that loss is eternal. And that loss is forever. No wonder the Holy Spirit grieves over your soul and my soul. And when we fall off into lying then, and it grieves the Holy Spirit, and if we're not truthful to God, it grieves the Holy Spirit because of the great loss that is involved. Anger and selfishness also grieve the Holy Spirit according to Ephesians 4. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Genesis 4 verse 5, if you remember the first uh, murder that occurred that created a great loss, that created great grief, it occurred with Cain and Abel, and it occurred over religious dispute, of all things, but it did. The scripture says there in Genesis 4 verse 5, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth. Angry. Anger born out of selfishness. What, what's the carnal mind? It's tending to the flesh. It's trying to please the flesh in everything it can do. And the Lord said to Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt not thou be accepted. And if thou dost not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with, his, with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Slew him. Anger born out of selfishness. So then we can conclude that the Holy Spirit is grieved out of our anger born out of selfishness because if we walk after the flesh and we tend to the flesh instead of tending to the Spirit, then we're selfish in every way and we're self-centered and we're trying to please ourselves. Therefore, we might get upset when somebody doesn't satisfy us in some way. Embracing lies, living emotionally outside the influence of the Holy Spirit grieves the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Another thing that grieves the Holy Spirit greatly, the loss, is giving place to the devil. That giving place literally means uh, giving a landing, a landing to the devil. We need to understand that giving a landing to the devil is a very dangerous thing because he can cause great loss. It's a foolish thing to think that we can give place to vain imaginations, Vain images, images that will destroy us, worship of ancestry, and not grieve the Holy Spirit. The scripture then says that let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands, doing the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. 
Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Tonight, I want to ask you, do you think God is grieving over you tonight because he doesn't have you? Are you causing the grief of the Holy Spirit by the way you're living? By the decisions you're making? We can never fully repent, brethren, until we understand the consequences of our repentance, of our non-repentance, and we understand the grief that is involved. God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son. He loves us so much that he was willing to give him and to die for us and for, to lose us. And for us to reject him because of the lie of the devil is grieving God. Now, if you're so selfish you don't care about grieving God, then you have that right to do that. You do. God's going to let you do that. But I assure you there'll be a day that you will experience grief if that's true. Because the loss of the soul. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I'm here tonight to tell you that there's one that loves you so much that he knows what grief is about for you and what your family is grieving and why they're grieving and the loss that's involved in that, but you don't have to experience that loss. We can be that prodigal that comes home and that grieving father. We, that grieving father that was looking and constantly viewing. God is looking and constantly viewing and seeking your return to him or your coming to him for the first time. And he's accepting of you. To those who come and say, Lord, make me as one of thy hired servants. I want to close with this thought. The prodigal, when he went to his father, he said, Father, give me of mine inheritance. What he was saying to God, literally, is I want you to pretend, Dad, that you're dead. I want you to treat me just like you're dead. I don't want anything else to do with you in any form, and I want what's rightfully mine. And we'll play like you're dead. There's a lot of people, and I don't know about you. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to point hand, fingers at anybody or anything. I don't know, and I'm glad I don't know. But I know that there's a lot of people that want to pretend there is no God, at least in their life. But they still want the blessings of God. They still look for those things, and then when the blessings don't come, they get upset and angry, don't they? And look for someone to blame. The father gives him that and he goes off to the far country and wastes his goods with riotous living, winds up in the pig pen where is all will, no matter if you go to Congress or the White House or wherever, or you wind up on Skid Row, it doesn't matter. It's still all the pig pen. 
because you're away from God. And he wakes up one day, and he thinks about his dad, and he thinks about his brothers, and he thinks about all the grief that he has caused to his family. And there's a change in this boy. And instead of saying, Father, give me, he goes, he says, Father, make me. He's one of thy hired servants. Instead of giving, just make me. You know, that's really what God wants from you and me. He wants to give us. He wants to bless us. But he wants us to be submissive enough to allow him to make us into the people that he wants us to be. To the vessels that are good for his service. If you're here this evening and you are needing Christ, we want to help you. It's time to stop the grief. It's time to stop the misery. God grieves over you. Your loved ones grieve over you. Take the position of the prodigal. Father, make me. Make me. Make me. Come to him submissively and let him begin his work in you. Come as together we stand and sing.